Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country as they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. My name is Mark Ramsey. I'm executive director of the Ministry Collaborative, and it is my absolute joy today to be with two wonderful colleagues, Arthur Christie and Peter Nielsen. When I uh, took over this role in 2017, one of the real gifts was to get to know these two pastors in Scotland who have now led two cohorts for us there. I have found them to be spiritually mature and wise in what they're seeing today and how it applies to our faith. Arthur and Peter, uh, hello. Hello. Good to talk. Hello, Mark. Lovely to see you. When I first went over and joined you almost three years ago, I think this month, for the first time, my, my great impression of the churches and the pastors you were working with was that in some ways Scotland was ahead of North America in what you were experiencing as far as the relegation of the church to a different place in our culture. Now we have the pandemic and everything else that's going on in the year 2020. We've been using often the the terms revealed and accelerated, Mm -hmm. that this pandemic maybe hasn't brought a lot new, but it's revealed a lot that was just under the surface that we were kind of glad not to look at. And it's accelerated every trend that was in, in any way active in churches. From your perspective there and in your setting, what are you seeing and what are you experiencing in this extraordinary year? Well, we've seen really earthquakes. I would describe them as earthquakes. I'm a pictures person, you know. The earthquake struck and the cracks were in the ground. And exactly as you say, the cracks are just widening and widening. Where there were weaknesses with congregations, particularly the institutional ones, they've just grown wider and wider and wider. And the sad thing is that I think people are still trying to bridge that chasm rather than than let things fall that the earthquake has shaken. On the positive side, Peter and I were both saying that the use of technologies and Zoom and all sorts of other means of communication have accelerated the sharing of the gospel and added to spiritual life. Yes, I think for me, the most obvious thing in our corner of Scotland is that it has certainly revealed the age profile of the church and the generational distance now from so many people in, in our culture. We're now we're now four almost four and a half generations out from where people once were. I grew up in a church when I would go with my father and mother and with my grand sit with my grandparents. And we've now had a generation that sent their children to along to Sunday school but didn't go to church. Mm-hmm. And now the children don't bother going and then their children don't know what it is anyway. So that's the progression that we've worked through. So that generational distance with all the cultural elements of that, mm-hmm. even mentioning things like technology, they'd be digital natives when the, the rest of the church is still, you know, wondering how to fix your phone. And I'm speaking personally about that. <laughs> <laughs> that generational distance, I think, has been shown up mm. very dramatically. And I think early on in this pandemic, when everything in us wanted to be out serving the community, We couldn't. Mm -hmm. Most of our congregations were in lockdown because they were required to be at home because they were the vulnerable. Mm. Now, you could go to other churches, and I'm glad to say there were some churches that did get out and have made massive contributions to their communities Mm -hmm. in this time. Mm. And people who have been 
alert and awake and ready for that have maximized that. That's been an acceleration in some places on the positive side. Mm -hmm. But just speaking for my corner, I'd be very aware of this almost a paralyzing of the church because of its age. Yeah. I want to pick up two things from what you both said there. Arthur, you mentioned people are trying to bridge the chasm. Yeah. Uh, can you say a little bit more about that and what is the alternative? I'll give you a, a prime example. The church in the local area I'm, I'm helping in is a retired pastor. One of the congregations is a 1960s building. The architect was rubbish. The design was rubbish. The water comes in. The electricity goes spark, spark. 40 people are worshipping in a 400-people auditorium. And still today, I received a, a message today, the electricians are going in to spend thousands of pounds on this building and we cannot get outreach into the community. The group in our community who are out there have taken a shop in the high street. The word Peter and I used when we last spoke was unencumbered. That meant the non-institutional Christians opened a shop and they've called it the clearing. Mm. It's a wonderful meeting place and people go, they have second-hand clothes, they have food, they have conversation, they have knitting classes. They are out there as the Christians. Mm. Whilst the traditional institution is still worrying about how they can put this building back together for a meeting place. We could do a, a long lament on institutional decline here and I want to say that there's a... Another movement that's beneath the radar that really doesn't appear on any of the statistical measures of church of any denomination. But last weekend, I spent three hours on Zoom listening to the stories of 10 people who have spent a year training as pioneer missionaries in Scotland, telling their story of what they had learned and what they intended to be about. And I was just thrilled listening to the stories of these people um, being part of a training course that has built up over the years. You've maybe heard of the Forge Network mm -hmm. and Scotland has its own branch of that and they have been completing their course. So there are people who are coming at things differently, to use the unencumbered word again, and being encouraged to strip things down to what are the basics of being church and getting on with that and released from some of the other things. Another thing we're talking a lot about is don't waste a crisis. We should never waste a crisis. This crisis has been incalculable in its pain and suffering. There's no question about that, particularly as it's fallen with inequity upon uh, racial and economic communities in our country, and I'm assuming there. And I don't want to make light of that. But back to the earthquake yeah. metaphor you've used, Arthur, and that you've picked up on, Peter, it does open up things and it remakes the landscape. And my next question, which you've already begun answering, was we, we could make a long list of all the things that are wrong with this and what this is revealing, and I don't think we need to do that. But I am wondering about the opportunities that you two have already started to talk about. And it leads me to wonder, do we need something like an earthquake to open up the church to change? I mean, I, I'm sorry if that's the cost, but it does seem like new things are happening. I'm wondering just how you view that in your experience as leaders. One experience I had of for the Presbyterian Church going in to close a congregation down and the building was to close. They wouldn't do outreach. They thought that was beneath them. And they closed the church building with £350,000 in the bank and the building was worth a million pounds. All of that capital went to another church who used it to refurbish a building. 
And so what I'm finding is, Mark, and, and the question that I haven't got an answer to is, how do we allow people to grieve in order to change? Because they need that process of grief because they need to let go. And currently there is nothing in place to enable them to let go so that they can then move on. And so that's the dichotomy that I'm living with just now. Lord, how can I help these people to let go? And to be quite honest, I'm sitting here and I think I'm going to have to be quite brutal Mm. to say, what do you need to happen before you will let go a building so that we can leave it behind and minister and look at the people who need us and the gospel? I had the opportunity, if that's the right word, to help a congregation to do just that. They had two buildings, one of which really was quite inaccessible and not suitable at all. They were persuaded to let go. And what I remember most, and we uh, spent some time reflecting on the history, celebrating all the, the wonderful history of that time over its centuries of existence, but we finished with singing, Now thank we all our God. And we walked out of the church to the hymn, And one elder carried the Bible, one elder carried the baptismal font, Mm -hmm. and one carried the chalice and plate of communion. We all ended up outside, and we then blessed the pilgrim people of God with the essentials for the future Mm -hmm. of the Word of God and the elements of sacrament. Off you go and be the people of God. Mm. And that to me was one of the most moving moments of ministry. Now that was tough, hard work to get there, but what a moment to say, off you go on the pilgrimage. Mm. I would just add in because I know the story and because, you know, Peter and I are so close. That had taken almost, I think, three years of constant ministry and loving to bring these people to that decision. Mm. And so there was a whole process of love involved that enabled them to make that move. My concern right now is that this earthquake model is just widening and widening. Mm. We don't have that time. No, I don't think so. We don't have that time. And I also think that one of the things I'm seeing, at least in in our culture here, a lack of is gentleness with one another. Mm. Um, There's a lot of judgment. How dare you reopen? How dare you not be reopening? Of course, everything, and it may be true there too, but everything here is politicized and seen through the lens of, of politics. People are bringing their politics to every church discussion right now. But uh, there's, a, there's a competition of churches that are doing well, not all of them, of course, but a lot of them trying to be uh, more fabulous than the, the last one, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, rather than being the body of Christ and being very gentle. I, I agree that the key to this grief process and transformation has to be the bedrock love we see in the grace of God. And that's also in short supply, at least here. What, what are you seeing there? I've been focusing on Colossians 3 about what we put on. Mm -hmm. What kind of clothes Mm -hmm. do our people wear? What's God asking us to put on? And I think too many people have put on too fancy garments and uh, things need simplified and dropped and the facade let down so that we can be honest and say, this is who we are. But also, this is who we are in God. Mm. I mean, what he gives us is far more immeasurable than anything we can you know, give with our experience and our traditions, perhaps. 
I think that passage that uh, Arthur has referred to is absolutely crucial for our time. I recall being at a conference in which I just watched one minister after another dissolve into tears at the way in which they were being treated or they saw their congregations treating one another. And I came away from that with a picture of vultures pecking at the body of Christ. And I feel we have come through a period of what I call the vulture culture in our church. Mm-hmm. And the Colossians 3, I think, is the antidote to the, the vulture culture. And if I may draw in one of my favourite quotations from Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, in his life together, and this is a kind of paraphrase, but the person who loves the dream of community more than the people of the community becomes a destroyer of the community. The dream is the dream that's informed by the past or the dream that's formed by the ideology or the dream that's formed by some whatever, but whether that's good, bad or indifferent. But if you put that dream above the care of the people themselves, then ultimately you kill the people on that very vision or dream that you have. Mm. Because what you have at the moment are these competing visions and people uh, destroying one another over them. You've already again gone to where I wanted to ask next, which is you talk about unencumbered, which I think is a crucial theological word for us. Beyond, you know, You've already hinted at this, both of you, but beyond buildings and the encumbrance of buildings, what else internally is the hard work that the church needs to be engaged in now in unencumbering itself? My adopted son once said it, asked at the General Assembly that the Assembly might repent of their inertia and pray and he asked six times during the assembly to pray and was denied every time there is a repentance i think that goes with this reality of where we are and looking at what we've built or sadly not built in scotland over these last 40 years that's my lament you know if you can hear the bagpipes and a lament over the hills it's the lament that we lost everything that we had brought a church in every community a school in every community the word of god taught they learned to read so they could know the word of god and we we in scotland have lost 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 that and when peter and i came to the states to see we just we we brought that lament with us and we grieved for you because we have moved so further down that road and we say, oh God, we are so sad. Please don't let this happen in the States. Mm-hmm. I was uh, intrigued to go back to my experience with the, the Forge group last two weekends ago. I've had two different weekends with them. I was really intrigued at a particular exposition about the God who strips things down to the essentials. And I was really struck. I thought, what's happening is the whole Christendom veneer has been stripped away. Mm. For us, our Reformation backstop is being stripped away. Mm. The hierarchical uh, Roman model is being stripped away. And where we in Scotland can find a home again is in our Celtic tradition. And if I give you a very simple understanding of our Celtic understanding of church, three words, heart, home and hub. The Celts nurtured hearts for God. They offered a home to friend and stranger. And they offered a hub for mission into the community. And the building was never the place that they brought people into, but the place where they equipped people to go and meet the community on the road and at the wells. And so there's something in our heritage that I think holds the clue to a a refreshing of 
a culture that has, without I'm not being romantic about this, believe you me, Celtic Christianity was very ascetic and very rough and raw. Mm. Uh, so don't go twee on me on this one. <laughs> but this is rugged stuff, actually. And I've had an interesting conversation with uh, Arthur's successor, actually, who is interested also in the Celtic way. And we've been just having a conversation. How could we, maybe in the next two to three years, and I've happy to come and walk alongside him on this. He's the minister, I'll walk alongside him. How could we change the culture of those congregations he's ministering to, to be more aligned to that Celtic profile, if you like? Hmm. There's something about walking, physically walking with people, isn't there? You have a problem, you have a situation, you maybe have a problem with the other. And there is something of the Emmaus spirit when we begin to physically walk with one another outside a building. And I think Peter's highlighting part of that Celtic journeying together in a broad and deep sense. Heart, home and hub. Yeah. That's really helpful. And the Celtic way of the soul, friend, this is the not going alone, but we're in it. At least one other person that we travel with. Arthur and I have become soul friends. That's the gift that the ministry collaborative or Mastery Ministry has been to us. We have found one another at a deep, deep level and we'll be eternally, and I mean eternally grateful mm. to you for that, if for nothing else. Thank you. And, and we, we see that and we have benefited from your dynamic partnership. You have spent a lot of time with pastors and guiding them, mentoring them, leading them, uh, supporting them. What do Christian leaders need most in this time? I mean, I think just where we've picked up, I think they need a fellow traveler. Mm-hmm. I think they need a fellow traveler who is not going to tell them what to do, but will listen to what they're about and reflect and encourage. I would say that the groups of people we've worked with over these years, we haven't fed them the big ideas. They've come with the ideas, but very tentative, unsure. Would it work? I wonder, could I have a go? And they've been given literally the encouragement, the courage to have a go. And then they've discovered that it worked Mm. Uh, instead of the negative voices. uh, Again, uh, helping people to pay attention to the Christ within. You know, there are so many voices that we listen to around us and within us and from our past and all our... But how do we pay attention to the Christ within who already is opening up the way for us? And that seems to me one of the big things that I am encouraging people to do. Pay attention to the Christ within. He holds all the wisdom, all the guidance that you need. And that usually comes in reflection with a fellow traveller. My last very quick would say to help the shepherds understand that as they stand at a wall and try to get the sheep into the fold, their responsibility isn't to drag them over and bleed their knees, but, you know, to allow that inner voice and that shepherding of Christ to lead them gently. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. As we wrap up, I've got twin questions, which may be for you all the same question or separate. Take it however you want. You have both had long and... Uh, incredibly important uh, generations of service to our faith. And you, to me, both of you exude the hope of Christ. How do you nurture that hope? That's question number one. And two, what is a scripture or two? You've already alluded to a couple of them, but what is a scripture or two that you're holding on to, particularly in this season? 
I've alluded to the Colossians uh, 3.1, but the reality for ministry for me is, has it always been the Amos image, the shepherd of Tekoa, where, you know, the fruit's spoiling and good things are being ruined and where the riddle and God is doing the riddling and he's saving that remnant. My prayer in ministry has always been, Lord, let me be part of the remnant. And it's how we hold people that God wants us to hold on to. And if I were to give a, a passage current, it's back to Colossians, but Colossians 1, the personal Christ, the communal Christ and the cosmic Christ. I just hold to that. I think we need a big, big gospel for our time, mm. but a deeply personal one and a communal one. But if I pick up from Arthur's cue to, as it were, a kind of womb text that I have drawn on from my call to faith and call to service, it's Jeremiah chapter 1, and it's about the breaking down and that building, the uprooting and the planting. Mm. And I am therefore unfazed by what's going on because that is the pattern that God works through of the breaking down and the uprooting and he is doing the planting and he is doing the building and we may not yet see but these are parallel processes not linear parallel processes and it's discerning what will remain and what will I invest in and it's the bit that's being planted and the bit that's being built not the bit that's being uprooted and the bit that's breaking down. I once heard Walter Brueggemann talking about that text when he said there's four negative or four destructive verbs and two positive, and that's roughly the proportion in which we experience that in our lives and in our mm -hmm. ministry, and I think we're living through that right now. Uh, my dear friends, this has been just wonderful, and I, I thank you, first of all, for who you are and the service you continue to provide. You are such an example to all of us how we run the race all the way through, and we grow every day, and we learn every day, and I have certainly learned volumes from both of you, and I am so grateful that we got to share some of that with uh, our audience today. Thank you both. Thank you. We've learned so much by being part of your lives, and we here in Scotland have certainly been on our knees for you guys in, in the States with all the recent political and it troubled it with COVID. So we continue with that journey. We're joined in the spirit and it greatly blesses us. Amen to that. Thank you very much. You've been wonderful. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. A project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.